1: Welcome, everybody, to episode 109 of the Greenlight Podcast. On this episode, we are joined by Matt Brown, publisher of Extra Points. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Happy to be here. Um, so we had a lovely conversation prior to recording about fatherhood. Maybe we'll end this conversation with that. Uh, but first, let's let let's jump in. We got a lot to talk about. Um, the first question is, and I think I already know the answer, but are we closer to a we all saw this coming moment with NIL, or are we closer to, I can't believe this
2: happened moment with NIL? You know, I, I, it's a good, you know, it's honestly, it's a good question. It depends on who you ask. I don't mind saying that I'm a little bit surprised we're at this point this quickly. Yeah. Um, it, it, generally within college athletics, as soon as somebody figures out a little bit of wiggle, wiggle room, eventually somebody drives a truck through that little loophole and it becomes a much bigger deal. I yeah. don't think I was expecting, and I, I think I speak for many of the ADs that, I, that, I, that I've talked to, I don't think we were expecting this much institutional money flowing into collectives at, this quickly, um, which I, I, I think has, has uh, stunned maybe the supporting infrastructure around all of this. Um, but it was probably inevitable that it was going to get to this point eventually. I don't mind saying I didn't think that was going to be the case nine months into it.
1: Yeah, it it happened pretty quick, Um, and I, I would tend to agree with you that I think people had a general idea on, you know, it's funny, you know, think back 12, 18 months ago, no one could stop comparing it to um, the auto dealership. Everyone just thought, yeah, you know, they're, they're, an auto dealer is going to sponsor them and how is this going to work? And are they going to leave practice? And I mean, we are so far beyond that. That's like the 1%, like the tip of the iceberg. And we are so far beyond that. Yeah, um, yeah I agree. The, the quickness of it was kind of
2: insane. Yeah, it, it, in fact, it, it's, it's kind of interesting because the way I, I describe this to people, whether I'm talking on a radio show or to like a SAC group, or talking to coaches is we really have to, remind ourselves that there's really two different NIL markets. There is an NIL market that I, I I tell people is is market driven, and that is a when a national brand or a smaller brand like me, you know, I've done some of these deals for to help promote extra points, or somebody else is partnering with an athlete to um, try and deliver some kind of actual business goal right? When Buffalo Wild Wings does a deal with an athlete, they don't care whether that athlete goes to Auburn or Alabama or Arizona State. They're looking at this as I'm buying access to, to their social media followings, just like I would if I was buying access to like a mom blog, right? And I think that that market has honestly not developed to as large as industry analysts expected it would last summer. We, mm-hmm. we, we could talk about the whys for that. Um, many of the marketplaces that took BC funding expected that market that 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 world to be much bigger than it is and it has been slow to develop it's it, it does exist many people are getting money from it it that has not become a billion dollar industry in and of itself right then you have another nil world where the the deals have absolutely nothing to do with the individual marketability or the individual skills of an athlete it is a it is a recruiting inducement or a retention inducement um, and I have no idea how to re- even write about that or give predictions or projections about where it's going because we have terrible data. Most of it is not being reported to school compliance departments, and it's not really being captured in most marketplaces. So we don't have audit data from it. We know it's not really being driven by conventional market forces. And um, a lot of it's driven by agents, um, many of whom are not licensed or not agents in this way that you would expect a, you know, somebody working with the NFLPA to be an agent. And I, I, I wish we didn't call both of those things NIL because I, I think they're really different. They require different strategies and, and different tools. Um, but looking at this now, the latter market has exploded in size and sophistication to the point where at a level, where I don't think that was expected within nine months. And then the other market, while existing, is not as large or as sophisticated as I think, honestly, athlete advocates hoped. You know, you want to be able to say, Hey, this is great. So-and-so athletes getting $60,000 in Instagram posts, women, athletes are valuable, athletes are valuable, blah, blah, blah. And like, you want to celebrate that. I think a lot of that storyline does not reflect the market reality right now.
0: It's interesting you say that because I think obviously we're all kind of consumed in this collegiate sports fan or industry bubble. And so obviously we hear everything that's going on from which way. In your opinion, how many people, in terms of the, the, the greater landscape of fandom, are really care about what's going on right now in, in either of those markets? Do, do we think, do the casual fans care as much as the people that are invested day in, day out about how this is changing the landscape of college athletics?
2: It's a great question. And fellas, I have to be honest. I don't know if I'm the best barometer for what a casual <laughs> fan thinks, because I write a publication, um, that caters <laughs> to the, the most hardcore, like exactly. my audience, yeah. right. At my, at which, cause my newsletter is not free. The people that read my newsletter are either. I, this is a term I say with love degenerates, like the <laughs> like really hardcore fans Very or fair. coaches, athletic directors, commissioners, um, or other reporters. like that's a, that's probably the biggest single chunk of my audience. So do my readers care? Yes. Um, I think even my readers are showing a little bit of fatigue about NIL coverage insofar as I think a lot of it's sensationalized, um, particularly about you know, offers with the transfer portal, which and we, we, we made a joke about this a couple of days ago, right? We built a create your own NIL rumor generator. Yep. And, and we, you know, we did this to make fun of the fact that like, whether it was with Jordan Addison or some tight ends at Utah or some other places where the, the bag amount pops up in some weird message board and then it just somehow becomes conventional wisdom and gets 15% more ridiculous every time my audience is like, I'm a little bit tired of this. Um, I think you would, to be honest with you, I think the casual fan is mostly not paying attention to college football in May at all. Uh, and as they yeah. probably shouldn't because the NBA playoffs are on. The Maple Leafs just blew, just, you know, choked again. And the, 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 for the NHL, the WNBA is starting. If you're really casual, there's other things for you to be focusing on and you'll come back later. And for me, it's like, I'm, and probably if you're listening to this, um, d- people that would not describe themselves as casuals. Don't you think that we've just shifted
1: from what was going on anyway at the top 1% or the top 5% behind the scenes and agents and parents and moms and whatever. And now we've put a crappy infrastructure in place to your point. It's not full fledged yet. It's not built out. It's not where it needs to be. And we've just called it NIL. Like what has actually changed? I think
2: there's a couple of things have changed. Okay. One is, you prior to last year, a college athlete could not formally have an agent and uh, athletes had, uh, you know, you might've called them uncles or runners or street agents or advisors yeah. or other individuals that might be affiliated, but, um, they weren't calling themselves agents. And th- this is important because, um, now you, you can have some of those people. And so a, a, a new industry kind of blossomed, and. Uh, You would, and you couple that with now a freedom of movement, which did not exist before has, you know, but those two things together create a significant business opportunity. If you are somebody, I'll I'll give you an example of a dynamic that really didn't exist a couple of months, uh, like two years ago, right? If you want to be, if you're an uh, an agent and you want to represent an athlete in the pros, the NFL or the NBA, generally you need to be an attorney. And if you're not an attorney, if you're not barred, you generally have to have years of professional negotiating experience and pass some kind of certification exam in order to be certified by those agents. And they do this for good reason, right? The agents, the the players union wants to make sure that the people working with their agents are legitimate and not trying to take advantage of them. In college, this does not exist because there's no college union. Uh, College athletes right now, legally aren't considered employees. States have a gajillion different laws. And many of the states that do have laws regarding, state, uh, regarding licensure of sports agents do not track them or do not enforce them. So here's a dynamic that's new. Literally anybody could be an agent. Like I've, I've said this when I was trying to re- hire athletes to promote extra points and I would get on calls with people uh, who were agents and then I would discover that they were 20. That they were undergrads, like this is not a this is not me making an exaggeration to like make a ha ha on a podcast. Like literally, people who said they were agents representing dudes and like in their dorms no. or on their floor. I'm like, all right, so that changes this calculus here because you don't know anything about anything. <laughs> no. uh, I've talked to agents who uh, literally tried to get me to break the law or lie on disclosure forms over the, those conversations, and 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 you know very unsavory characters. And this is important because these are these agents or agents, right? I'm making air quotes. Are not able to represent athletes once they turn pro, but because of the transfer portal and because of these collectives and because of the sudden sophistic- like financial sophistication of this bagman world, and it, one of these agents could say, if I put my kid in the portal and we shop him around, we can get some offers from one of these collectives, and I don't really care if, if transferring is in the long term best interest of this guy because if you know either he's probably not going to make the NBA anyway, and if he is, he's not I'm not going to be his agent. So let me go grab the bag now, because if I grab the bag now and because it's laundered as a marketing deal, the agent gets 20 percent of that instead of a a contract, a labor contract where the agent might get four or six percent. So when you see rumors of some basketball player getting four hundred thousand dollars somewhere, there's going to be some agent who may or may not be a real agent who just got one hundred grand. And this dynamic is pushing a lot of player movement right now, particularly in men's basketball, but also in college football. And I think we'll continue in some other sports that is bringing new people, new amounts of money and new pressures uh, that didn't exist in the bag man world. People have been, college athletes have been getting bags since 1905. And, and they've had player value since, you know Yale was running, was, you know, was, was running stuff back then. The amount of money and the, um, the corporate angle to this, that really is new. Does that, does that all make sense? Yes. Oh, yeah. And you you've mentioned
1: collectives for the people that don't know, because that's somewhat new. Yeah. Um, tell us what the NIL collectives are and, and how that's been changing things in recent months.
2: Yeah. So let me, um, I'll kind of give you the, 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 the good and the bad about, about a collective. So one of the things that if you are a college athlete right now and you want to, to sign some kind of endorsement deal or some kind of marketing deal, and you don't have access to a collective, you have to go into these marketplaces. There's like 12 of them that they're kind of set up like Facebook Marketplace or Tinder even, and try to match yourself with the brand where you're constantly a, a, a pitching yourself. You have to share all of your own marketing data. And anybody can do this. Like if you're a division three athlete with, with, with 2000 Instagram followers, you could probably get a deal, but it's very time consuming. And um, it's an inefficient market because the athlete doesn't know how much to charge. The brand doesn't know how much to charge. And what I'm sure you two are familiar, no, but maybe fans don't, college athletes have very limited free time to play college basketball in the Mac or in the Horizon League is an enormous time commitment. So you might sit there and think, look, man, I've got 10 free hours a week. I could go play Call of Duty. I could go chase some girls or I can go hang on Instagram and try to make 600 bucks. I'm probably not going to try to do the Instagram thing, right? So what a collective does is the middleman, and that says, listen, my, 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 my brother here at Wright State, my basketball playing friend, I'll do all that stuff for you. I will make all the phone calls to get people in Dayton or, or suburban Columbus or somewhere else to, to want to support athletes here. I will match them for you, and, and I will just come to you and say, hey, you know, this chicken place or this insurance agency wants to work with you, all you got to do is sign. And then depending on the kind of collective, the collective might take 5%. 15 maybe 20% of, of that value for overhead or profit or what have you. So on paper that is a rather that's an elegant solution. That helps athletes, that helps uh brands get more involved in this marketplace and that's part of the reason why lots of uh these are popping up. But you wasn't know,
1: wasn't yeah. that wasn't that supposed to be what open doors and influencer did or is
2: that more just the platform for entry? Or Yeah, or sh- the, the, the It is a little bit different. Like I think influencer would tell you we're not a marketplace. What influencer is trying to do is provide the compliance software for everybody. So when an athlete does the deal, you know, the computer goes bloop, bloop, bloop. And then like, here's the form for compliance and here's what you need for taxes and helping the athletes stay compliant with the law, which is a major issue. And then Open Doors does this too. And Open Doors also takes a, a cut off the top. But what, um, and there's like seven other companies like Open Doors. But again, part of the problem is somebody has to sign up the local businesses. And when we, I think if we sit here to think, hey, what's a business that would benefit from working with a local athlete? Um, You know, some kind of bar on Court Street in Athens or a local pizza place here in Chicago or something else. These guys don't do online marketing. They don't know what CPM is. They've never bought a Facebook ad. A lot of them are run by boomers. And so logging onto Open Doors, is and you know no, no disrespect to Blake Lawrence if he's listening like that's really complicated and scary so that's why the collective on paper helps make that process easier they actually make the outbound sales calls to recruit the businesses which Open Doors isn't really doing um, because that's that's not their their line of work the other thing that's that's helpful, helpful about a collective is like let's say you and I. Let's let's you know let's let's say I want to support an athlete at UIC. I'm, I'm based in Chicago. UIC is I think the closest Division One team to me. And let's pretend I don't own a business. I do. Uh, Extra points isn't that big. It you know, has has a little bit of money. But and if I wanted to support the NIL efforts, but I didn't have a business where I could launder a deal through through a collective, I can I can donate a check. I could say here's a hundred bucks or or pay them hundred bucks. Maybe that gives me autographs. Maybe that gives me some special access to an athlete. But that money could then go to the pizza place that signs the UIC athlete. So I don't want to, to sound anti-collective, right? Like, I mean, like on paper, this fulfills the mark you need. It can help a lot of different people. What I think is important for fans to understand is that collectives vary a lot. You have some collectives, again, not being hyperpo- hyperbolic here to make a joke. Some collectives are literally a bunch of dads from message boards. Like, I want to say TCU has a collective of dudes from the TCU message board who paid 200 bucks to set up an LLC and they passed the hat on the board. And that is not very sophisticated. That's I mean, and, and, and uh, this is not me casting, dis, you know, dispersions on TCU. That's one yeah. thing you can do. What Tennessee is doing, where they're dropping two million dollars on, on a quarterback and they have former Congressman Heath Shuler, you know, shaking down fortune 1000 companies for gigantic money to build a $10 million plus war chest that rivals the athletic department. That's not the same thing. You also have some uh, collectives that are trying to tell the world that they're charities and that they're going to do all the deals through charities and that we're tax deductible. And guys, I'm not going to mince words here. Uh, That's tax fraud. Like, like that is the, every professor, every accountant, every agent that I've talked to that's reputable says This is not going to pass muster. Eventually the state or the IRS is going to come in here. I've had people might go to like jail, jail. Um, So there's, there's, this is all to say, this is a very complicated and fast moving world where people are coming in with really good intentions. People are coming in with good intentions, but no sophistication. Some people are entering into this world with um, poor intentions and it's up for the athlete really to kind of navigate all of this. I think without a whole lot of help. And so
1: real quick, Ian. Um, there's no barrier to entry, like you said. A couple message board dads that are like Ian and I have joked, like we should start an Ohio U one. We we know 30 people right now that would donate hundred bucks to start an Ohio U collective.
2: Now sure. Just go shake then- down every every news editor in the greater Ohio and Michigan area. There's gotta be enough like <laughs> script alums to pass that, yes. out, right? So so
1: then what? So let's say we start it and we, and we get $20,000. Who are
2: we calling? The AD? What happens then? What is the next what, step? What, what, ha- what happens then? So then I think you, you would need to decide as a group, um, do we want to run this collective through businesses in Athens or potentially Columbus? Or do we want to make this just through us? In order to remain compliant with NCAA guidelines, you need, there has to be a quid pro quo relationship between money you distribute Um, And somebody has to get something from it. So you could say, this is the Ohio youth fan club collective. And you if you donate money to it, you will get autographs or one on one time or Jeff Bowles will come to your house and tell jokes or what we, you'll get or you'll get some bogus Bobcat NFT of like Rufus beating the crap out of uh, the Ohio State Buckeye or something. I don't know. Yes. You guys, I would, it, right? I would buy that. I would buy that NFT. I mean, like I, I would. i I'm an, I went to Ohio State myself. I would. I would have that in my office because it was funny. So you <laughs> could do that, or you could say, okay, we've got this money now. Let's go to businesses in Vinton County or in McConnellsville or in Athens that might benefit from working with somebody. And let's say, hey, I got the money for you. You figure out, tell me what kind of advertising campaign you want, what kind of Bobcat you want to work with. And then I talk to the AD or I talk to some players and say, would you like to be a part of this collective? And I'll try to find you some deals. Um, Doing it that way, I think, gives the most value to the community and the brand and the athlete. But it takes some work. Like being a marketing director or calling up these companies in Athens takes time. Some collectives have somebody full-time to do some of these things. They work with professional companies that do some of these things. Sometimes it's all amateur. And it it kind of depends on what kind of resources you want to sink into. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: totally. And I guess my biggest question with that, when it comes to the actual, the guidelines or the the regulations, is how much of that truly is coming from the NCAA and can be enforced? How much of that is... Coming from whether it's the the federal level, the state level, or even I, I know you had a piece back I think in in, in March about just the, in the the IRS, how much is is government involvement and how is that kind of changing the landscape of 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 the of the regulation side of it as well? It's
2: these these are these are tough questions. So I think if I'm to be the best advice I could give would be. I think people should err on the side of being over compliant. And as a reporter, I'm not going to encourage somebody to break rules. Um, The big question right now is whether the NCAA has the capacity to enforce anything. Um, There's less than I want to say. There's less than two dozen full time NCAA investigators right now. A bunch of people left uh, over the past couple of years, and so you might be able to commit the recruiting crime equivalent to shooting you know shooting somebody on Central Park and getting away with it because they don't have any cops anymore. But do you want to be the one responsible for giving somebody that advice and then you being the one person that they call? Probably not, right? Like, And, and so like that's, that's why there's, there's guidance. And the NCAA just said a couple of days ago that reminding people of their obligations to comply. Most agents, I think, are telling athletes they're probably not going to do anything. Some of these things might not even you know, like hold up in court. I would not be so sure. Now, the other question, then you have yeah, the state. And uh, every state has different laws about NIL right now. Uh, Several states don't have any. Indiana doesn't have one. Wisconsin, Utah, Ohio does. Um, I don't mind telling y'all this. Um, Ohio State basically wrote that law. The Ohio Senate lawmakers, as a general rule, do not follow college sports, are not especially intellectually uh, interested in this world, and do not have the capacity to really write policy unless Gene Smith... Uh, tells them, or Ohio State's legal counsel tells them. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to sound like overly partisan, but like I've watched so many of these hearings, you guys. Something nobody, no sane person should do. And we are not sending our best and brightest to our state houses in Ohio, in my, here yeah. in Illinois, in Florida. Like it's not working very well. Most of the states that have nil laws do not have anything in the law talking about who's actually going to enforce it. So it's like, is the Ohio Highway Patrol going to arrest you for crimes? No. Um, so I wouldn't worry about that so much unless you are registering as a five hundred one c three, in which case the Ohio Attorney General could audit you, and that is something you should be aware of. the The biggest thing I think, regulatory wise, anybody should be concerned about is the IRS. And like the truth is, the IRS like the NCAA. Yeah, they, they got they got nobody either. <laughs> they got nobody either, and I'm telling you. So like, if you were if you were Worthington Steel, or I don't know, some gigantic, some really big company. If you were like Patel, right? Trying to remember who else is in Ohio. You're probably safe, right? But the IRS is going to, has enough troops to pick somebody to like, to, to really go after them. One person who's going to be really vulnerable is a 20 year old athlete who is about to learn what happens if you don't disclose income, like they do have enough people to go after you because they also figure you're not going to lawyer up. You're not going to be able to fight back. And then you're going to be paying back taxes, that's huge fines. And that's going to be the next five years of your life. Literally happened to me as a 22 year old. Like it can happen to you. The other thing is, again, a lot of these collectives, a lot of these small LLCs um, are not terribly sophisticated. They've been, I think, are not really paying very close attention to their legal obligations. And those are the kind of small time people that the IRS could go after. Like, do I think the IRS is going to go after Oregon or Tennessee? Like two groups that I think have very well-funded well-sophisticated uh, operations? Probably not. Division Street is probably not going to get hit by the IRS. Could Ohio State's, which is, I think, exceptionally sloppy? Yeah. Uh, could somebody at a mid-major where that's not super well capitalized, where you're, you're managing $750,000 and you have two and a half employees? Yes. Yeah. That, is the, that is the equivalent of the IRS throwing the book at a guy that makes $55,000 a year. And fellas, that happens all the time.
1: Now, depending on how it's set up, who's liable? Obviously the people that set up the LLC, but then will that blow back on the school at all?
2: Um, Legally speaking, probably not. In terms of reputation, it could. uh, Also depending on how closely the the university was working with the collective. So one of the things that I don't think has been reported terribly well is not every school is working hand in glove with their collective. Sometimes the the athletic director has a great relationship with the money folks, or or the specific money folks that are running these things. Um, you know, at West Virginia, for example, Oliver Luck is, the, is one of the dudes who's in charge of like their big collective. He's pretty well connected to WVU's athletic department. Um, there are other places, I don't mind telling you guys, but the AD in the school absolutely friggin' hates the people running the collective. Hmm. Part of it is because people run the people running the collective are the the lifetime subscription message board people who are not sophisticated, who are um you know, whose interests run against what the athletic department actually wants to do. They don't want anything to do with them. And that's the case at some power five institutions. And uh, then if something bad happens there, the AD might be able to say, like, look, I told you guys, I told you these guys suck. Like, there's a reason we weren't really working with them very closely. I don't know what to tell you. If something goes bad at a place where they haven't working very closely together, that could have maybe not legal repercussions, but professional or cultural repercussions. Absolutely.
0: Hmm. No, that, that makes sense, and it makes a ton of sense. And I think from the head of this, obviously, everyone, and I think from a general public standpoint, um, there has been a lot, obviously a lot of vocal criticism of Mark Emmert. There's yeah. been a lot of vocal criticism of the NCAA. As you mentioned, there's there's people have left the NCAA. There's a lot of things that are shifting right now. Now that Mark Emmert has announced that he is he is finally out, one, and I don't, you don't have to throw a, a single name out there, but I guess in general, who do you think the NCAA should hire? And do you think um, this, I guess, subsect of NIL and and legislation will have a a large impact on who that person could potentially be?
2: You know, the the tricky thing about the former is that this job kind of sucks. Like the good news (laughs) is you're going to make two and a half, three, maybe a little bit more million dollars a year. Not bad work if you can get it. You get canned, You're gonna get a golden parachute. But the bar but, is
1: so low. You, I mean,
2: the bar is so low. Yeah, I don't think anybody really remembers Miles Brand. Like, no, like no. In, in the social media era, yes. all you have is a buffoon. And I, 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 I know that beating up on Mark Emmert is the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, and and I think it is correct to say not everything that Mark Emmert was blamed for was his fault,
1: yeah. but
2: he did suck. Like, and the, and ads hate him commissioners mostly don't like him. Even half the presidents don't like him. He wasn't an effective communicator. He wasn't an effective leader. He had a bad haircut. He was, he was, he was easy to make fun of. Um, and so we know that whoever comes into this role is going to be blamed for things that they don't have total control over. Um, yep. And also is heading into a part here where we don't know if the NCAA is going to really exist in six years. Yeah, They're trying to really, at least as we know it right now, it's trying to completely reimagine itself. They're worried about constantly being sued. And so if you are an A-lister executive, you have to ask yourself, do I want to come in here? The, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a glass scene. It's like a glass cliff. Do I want to come in here and take over a ship and be like be the last NCAA president? The, the person that I have, have floated, and I don't know if she would take it, but somebody who I think would do a very good job would be Val Ackerman, who yeah. is the, yeah. the commissioner of the Big East, You know, former yeah. of the WNBA, very thoughtful woman. Um, somebody who would, I think, have a lot of credibility with not just university presidents but athletic personnel, but yep. also the professional sports world. I personally believe it is more likely than not that major budget athletic departments are going to become more professionalized over the next decade. And somebody yep. that speaks that language a little bit more would be effective in this role. I also would, would doubt a little bit that Val would take it. Like Val could go back to USA basketball, she could you know, be a candidate for any other commissioner gig that that pops up if that was something that she wanted. She's obviously not tied to big time football, which is a major NCAA issue right now. Um, A lot of the ADs and presidents that you're going to hear kind of tied to this sort of thing. I don't really know if any of them that I'm familiar with, I could feel super confident would do better. Um, Because it's kind of a possible gig. You really need to have, I think, real athletic credibility at this point because the NCAA central office hasn't had that in a long time. You have to be somebody who's a forward thinker who can articulate and communicate a vision of what college sports should be, not just what it is. You probably want somebody that has some familiarity with Washington, D.C., and ideally somebody that has some familiarity with the pros. There's not that many people that fit that bill. It's a hard job.
0: No, totally. And do you think, I mean, just to, to piggyback off that. How how realistic do you think it is that we could see a, a potential power five separation from the NCAA or the top percentage of athletes that be, uh, of, at these schools breaking away or or even creating a a union of these athletes? How realistic are these concepts or these ideas that are, that are being thrown out there or are actually legitimately being discussed?
2: Yeah, I, I can tell you a couple that I know for a fact are legitimately being talked about. The most realistic. Is the idea of moving college football completely, or at least FBS college football, completely yeah. out of the purview of the NCAA. Yeah. And I'll tell you, one group of people that's been in favor of this for two years are administrators at schools that don't have football. Like the right- the Big States, East. The, the, Big the Big East. East yeah. the, your Horizon Leagues, your Duquesnes yeah. of the world. They've been saying yeah. good, like- Please. Your problems are not my problems. And we, the NCAA would say, like uh, people in, in Indianapolis would say, you know, we don't actually make any money from college football. That's the college football playoff. They control all of that. But we are in charge when things break. And you know we have to do the investigations. We have to do the compliance. We have to do the backend stuff. We don't control the revenue like we do for men's basketball. So what you're hearing, Gene Smith, Ohio State's athletic director, which you've heard Jim Phillips, longtime uh, Big Ten athletic director, now ACC commissioner, have, have floated what if the college football playoff was just in charge of college football? And we had a college football commissioner and we had different eligibility rules and different financial rules for college football that would include all of FBS, not just the Power Five. And everything else stayed the same. I don't know if that would necessarily be better in part because the same people that screwed up the system in the NCAA are still gonna be running things in this new thing. But that is not a message board fever dream. Like that is a real thing that's being talked about. From my conversations, I think a formal P5 breakaway is more popular among sports radio and Twitter than it is among current administrators. Mm. Um, They would like more money. They would like more control or autonomy, but most of them don't actually want to break away from the entire thing. And a big part of that is because there's not a whole lot of appetite right now in messing up the NCAA tournament for men's men's basketball. And part of what makes that such a commercially compelling venture, what makes so much money is that America wants to gamble on Northern Kentucky. They want to throw money down on the Summit League. They want to throw money down on some school that they hadn't heard of before. They don't want to do that for a six and 10 Virginia Tech team. Um, They want to root for the big dogs in the final four, but they want to root for St. Peter's in the beginning. And you can't have that unless you're all part of the same group. Um, The other really big, big labor question is about whether we could have a player's union. And that I think is a possibility because the the um, National Labor Relations Board is has basically telegraphed we would like an, we would like another Northwestern situation we would like other athletes to come forward and try to unionize and we have a a court a, a court case making its way through the federal court system right now uh, I want to say it's the it's 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 brought up by football players from Villanova and I think a couple other smaller schools in the Northeast saying we, sh- we were treated as employees, Villanova owes us minimum wage. And if that happens, then look, amateurism is dead, capital D, dead, dead. And then you can have collective bargaining and you could have a union and you can have some of these things. And if it doesn't happen in this case, it might happen with another one. Um, so that is not impossible by any means. So it would make sense for them to form a union
1: if the power five break away. I mean, that makes sense, right? Well, it, it,
2: you know, a lot of this really kind of depends on what the court what the, what the court says and who tries to organize a union and a lot of what we call like fact-dependent circumstances. So one of the, you know, I can say this as somebody that's worked in labor organizing before. When I worked at Vox, I helped organize that union. I, I worked in, I've, I've, I've been a union member at other jobs before. Starting a union is really hard
1: mm-hmm. and it,
2: it will become exceptionally hard in college sports, even if they're legally allowed to, because one, it would be the youngest union in the world. Your oldest employee is gonna be 23 years old and you're gonna have to rely on people who are teenagers. Most of whom did not come from union homes to set this up. That's very difficult to do. It's a very transient workforce because people are gonna be out of the union in three or four years. And one of the, the, the things that's most important within organizing a union, whether you're in Starbucks or Amazon or the Purdue Boilermakers is trying to establish solidarity within that particular unit. And even if you are just doing power five football players, you have one group of people with some interests who are going to play in the NFL. And you have some group of players who are going to be very buff dentists
0: who are going <laughs> to have
2: very different rules, right? Like where that, that's just yeah. not a concern for them. The thing I, I think about, we, we kind of got a, a, a taste of this was like, y'all remember like before during the COVID season where we had the PAC 12 United players group. I mean, had one in the big 10, we had some of these guys popping up and, 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 you know, a lot of them are saying, listen, We want additional medical protections. We want some kind of revenue sharing. We're tired of being treated like essential employees before this potentially dangerous season. Two things happened. One, they all got rolled. They basically got nothing. And part of that is because they couldn't keep solidarity. And the Big Ten specifically, right after the Big Ten group did that, the Ohio State football players put out a second statement saying, actually, we think we're good. And that just goes to shit. Listen, if you were to Ohio state, that team, you could, have, you were, you were a competition for national title. You had most of that start, those starting 22 are going to be drafted and they had their own professional careers to think about and didn't want to mess that up. They didn't want to be seen by NFL GMs as some kind of like red, right? Ain't nobody on Rutgers having that problem right now. Like there might've been two guys on that team who were going to go be UDFAs. So they have, they have a different deal. So I don't know if I could sit here and say, like, the union's going to come on on this date, and it's going to ask for X, Y, and Z, and it's going to make perfect sense for everybody. And that's not me saying unions are, are bad. I think unions are pretty good. It's just, it's going to be really difficult to get everybody on the same page. And I would expect some of those efforts to fail before they're ultimately successful.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first reality, to your point, to Ohio State football letter point, like, you know, it's not, they don't, it's not that bad. Don't get me wrong. I am on the side that, no, they are, especially at that level, you're an employee, man. Like, people don't understand the day-to-day that they have. They are up at 6 in the morning. They are back in their rooms at 8 p.m. It's a full day, full day of everything. But they get a shit ton of stuff, man. (laughs) Like They get, like, have you been to Ohio State's facility? Have you been to Duke's basketball facility or Kentucky basketball or Florida? I mean, the top 1%, it's some of them beat – the NFL team, some of them beat NBA teams. So like, it's an unbelievable experience. So I can kind of see that point. Um, but I think the bigger point to what you made is, is like the buff dentist. Like, what are you convincing them to do? Like, what is the fight for me? Why am I fighting for this? And I think that's, that's going to be tough or impossible.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, ha- I have been to the Woody and I, I have been to some of those facilities. And, and quite frankly, I would still say, despite all of the bells and whistles you're getting, you know, those are there in part to control you. And yeah, you're adjusted fields, like you're still getting a raw deal, but, but you might not see that at 20, right? Exactly. Especially because you don't want to disappoint yep. your teammates or the, the goal oh. that you're trying to do. And, and I try to have a lot of empathy about this when I write about it, because it's one thing for me as a middle-aged dad in my basement to say like, You guys should go on strike. Like knowing that I don't have, I have nothing to lose. You potentially have everything to lose. Cause the first group that does that, whether you're in Columbus or Michigan or Boston college, your fans are going to freak out. And a bunch of reporters, a bunch of reporters are going to say, great job. And your local fans and some people in your business community are going to absolutely tear you shreds. In 15 years, they may build a statue of you, but in the beginning it's going to be really painful so when I see people like me, or when I see people with tenure who have nothing to lose whatsoever, cheerlead this kind of thing, I like. I don't think it's really fair to ask somebody who has so much more to lose than I ever do to shoulder the burden for for all of this stuff here. Again, not saying it's it's right or wrong. I just think we should be realistic. One hundred percent about that.
1: We we've talked. Ian and I have talked about that before, um, probably two years ago or so, on an episode where. We said, could you imagine the change that would happen overnight if a team refused to come out for an NCAA men's basketball game? Didn't tell anybody, you know, pick any game. It doesn't matter. 512, 89, 116. Doesn't matter. And they're ready to go. And, and uh, you know, uh, Jay Billis is ready to start talking, blah, blah, blah. And the team doesn't come out. Just doesn't tell anybody. Now there's advertising dollars that have been paid for. They have no idea what they're going to do for two hours. But as we said that the other half of our brain kicked in and was like, this is all they worked for. Like, this is yeah. everything you go to college to do, to make the NCAA tournament and try and win an NCAA championship. So it's like, it's the most selfish and selfless thing probably you could potentially do. But I always play that out. Like, could yeah. you imagine if somebody just didn't play and said, I want to your point, Matt, like, just give us medical benefits for the rest of our lives. And that's it. I bet you that would happen pretty quickly.
2: I, I, I think you're right. Win, win, and I don't, I don't think it's enough. I think, you know, it'll happen eventually. It's happened in professional sports before. They would probably win in the short term. Yeah. And I think that the individual people would also pay a very significant personal price. Yeah. Now, with the benefit of hindsight over their entire lives, I think many of them would look back and say, that's a fair trade. But like, I like, like you kind of think about it. I think about the guys at the, do you know the story about the, the black 14? No. So uh, very, very quickly, <clears throat> this was back in the uh, late sixties, early seventies, a group of uh, black football players, the university of Wyoming wanted to protest by wearing black armbands when they played against BYU, who at that time did not allow African-Americans to to, um, to hold ecclesiastical positions within the, within the LDS Church, um, and other schools were protesting. And their football coach, uh, Wyoming's football coach, kicked them all off the team. Said a bunch of very racially racially insensitive remarks, um, and and uh, said like you know that, that that that's not how we're going to run things here. Uh, a couple of those guys in Wyoming went on to the NFL. Several of them did not. Uh, most of them left school. They, they kind of went around other places. And uh, Wyoming's football program completely fell in the gutter after that because the word got around, hey, this is not a place that respects the autonomy of Black people. And like, it's already kind of hard to be Black in Wyoming. Being Black in Wyoming playing for Lloyd Eaton's racist butt is way harder. And so Wyoming, like Wyoming was Boise State before Boise was like a, even a truck driver school. Like they were a top <laughs> 15 team and cratered completely. And now, and like the LDS church now, uh, you know, changed that rule, uh, you know, obviously embarrassingly late. Um, and I, I say this as, as a Mormon myself um, and, you know, you can look back, it's like that protest did a ton of good for Wyoming for civil rights in college sports in general and for Mormondom in you know, for globally. And uh, Wyoming apologized to those guys like last year. Um it, it, like that, yeah. They're they're all they're they were they're you know not. I think I think one of them might have been dead. Like you know it was years and years yeah. and years.
1: Twenty twenty one, they apologized.
2: I I it was I want to say it was twenty twenty. You know like like I mean? when CBS did a documentary about it, right, and kind yeah. of put it back in, and they they finally brought the guys back. That's kind of how this stuff works. uh yeah. And like I right, like you could see a world where in twenty sixty they bring back and like, hey, here's the guys at Boston College who launched the movement that you know got healthcare for college athletes forever. And you yeah. look back and think, Hey, you're like Kurt flood. You're, you're a hero. It's going to be very hard for you in the beginning. Yep, yeah,
1: no doubt. That's um, Matt, this was awesome. We appreciate you coming on. We're going to get you out of here on this. Um, we like to give our guests uh, the green light for a hot take. Uh, so that's the last question. It can be about anything. Um, anything. It can be about food. It can be a food hot take. It can be a city hot take. It could be, about any sport, uh, whatever you want, whatever your hottest take is, uh, you officially have the green light, man. Go for it. Yeah,
2: I mean, you're putting me on the spot. I—that's
1: I uh, the best I, part. I mean, like,
2: I'm so in the weeds with college sports. I figure I should do that rather than talking about pizza places or about <laughs> Hawaii. Ohio is a good place to be from, but not a good place to live anymore. Um, I. Paul, yeah.
0: <laughs> Paul wants, I, Paul I, wants I, you to take damn
2: that out. You know what? Matt, let's, you're, let's, let's let's just, you're, you're hitting me in the heart, man. Yeah. Like, look, yeah, y'all, I'm, I'm from Lincoln County. All right. I, wow. I, I was born in Reynoldsburg, lived in Pataskala, went to Granville High School, graduated from Ohio State. And the day I got my, the day after I got my diploma, I got on a plane and flew to Arizona and my, I haven't been back since. And Ohio, good. Ohio has this big advertising camp yes, right now. Yes. Yes. Right? It's amazing. So when you're driving to Chicago. And you're driving through downtown. I was like this big billboard that says like, you know, you think your future shiny in the bean? Think of your future in Ohio. I'm like, no, because <laughs> I make thirty five thousand dollars a year more in here. And JD Vance isn't going to be my senator. Oh. And the weather is just as bad in Ohio. But now I get to have like international culture and a better Great Lake. Why the hell would I go back? <clears throat> and like some people mention this sometimes, like you know, don't you miss Ohio State? Don't you miss Wits? Frozen custard. No, don't you miss Court Street? I'm like, all oh, that stuff's lovely. The hockey hills are lovely. Lake is lovely. I'm never going back. Um, I if I if I want to go live somewhere where I will feel alienated politically and culturally, I will move to Utah where uh, the weather is better and there's more outdoors things to do, and I'll make more money than uh, in Columbus, which is just a worse version of Chicago, I think, in almost every way. There's your hot take. Love you. Love you. Seven four zero that was that, was that was incredible i, love, I
1: absolutely love it. yeah man i don't think you realize what that did i gotta play that for my wife
2: um yeah I'm gonna, yeah I'm gonna okay end up like julie cromer's like crap list now but
0: like that's like,
1: <laughs> <sorry>. what uh <laughs> just in case anybody that doesn't
2: know like where can everybody find you social twitter uh yeah everything mm-hmm. You can find me on Twitter where I promise I'm typically not disparaging the great state of Ohio (laughs) Um, at Matt Brown EP. I write extra points, which is a newsletter that publishes Monday through Friday that digs into the off the field issues that shape college sports. I do not write about who's going to win the football game. I don't really cover recruiting. I don't get into the X's and O's. It's not that I don't care about that stuff. So I leave that for all the other reporters so I can focus on talking about things like NIL, which I've been covering since before it was the thing, about uh, state governments, about how schools get their money, how they spend it, how conference realignment, media rights deals, all those other things work because those shape who's good on Saturday and who makes NCAA tournaments. I get into the weeds so you don't have to. Chances are your athletic director probably reads Extra Points, so I think you might enjoy it as well, uh, which you can find at extrapointsmb.com.
1: Awesome! Thank you again, Matt. We appreciate it, man. We will have you on again uh, whenever there's another change in NIL or the NCAA hires somebody or you know something like that. But uh, next time I'm in, I'm in Chicago, uh, I'll hit you up and we'll go to whatever your favorite pizza joint is.
2: <laughs> that, that 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 sounds great. Thanks, oh, been fellas.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Thanks for having man. Me. Thanks, Matt. Talk to you soon. Lately, I've been feeling like this is what I've been working towards. If you ain't trying to be the boss, and tell me what you're working for. Certain doors are closed, but now they're opening up. Celebrating with some shots, maybe poke on a cup. Bulls, plus Russell's up next, and I got this. Crazy like Britney in the love, so toxic. Got a wall up, I'm trying to infiltrate a conscious. Taking 12 shots like where the cops is. Come on.